as you decide to push into territory that is more now about trailblazing for you than it is the trail management, you will be astonished at what it feels like to reframe your capacity to do hard things. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek, that is what we truly want, and you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to ShipStation for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. Use my offer code DREAMJOB to get a 60-day free trial. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So yesterday I was with the kids in the house and um, I was going through some stuff, cleaning some stuff. And then was sitting with them downstairs and just really present, hanging out with them, playing dolls with them. We played some basketball in the backyard. We were doing a puzzle and all this time went by where I was just completely engrossed with my kids. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want this part to stop. You know, there are so many things about this time that feels so scary and so challenging And while that's completely true, there's also so many things I don't want to go back to. Like, I don't want to go back to this like hamster wheel where everyone's busy. And I think about how I used to spend my days and my weeks and my weekends and how busy and how scheduled we all were and how my time with my kids was so diluted because we were always with other people or I was taking them to activities and it was so stressful. And my husband and I have been like in the best place ever because we're working together the way that we've never worked together. Like I see him, he's doing all the dishes, he's doing all the laundry, he's really there for me. And, you know, I'm doing things I normally don't do. I'm cooking every meal. I'm really spending, you know, time like sitting with the kids, organizing things, helping them, you know, read, helping them do stuff. And I don't know, there's just such an incredible feeling of, of goodness and calm, even though everything else is like crashing down in some ways. It's just such a blessing. I also just want to give a shout out to all of the incredible people in my made to do this program, because this is our last week of 12 weeks in this coaching program. And I am just so blown away. I have seen such incredible growth, such good human beings. I feel so honored to have spent this time, these last three months 
And I'm so grateful they let me into their life. And over the next few weeks, stay tuned because I'll be um, sharing some of their wins. And I'm just so, so delighted to see what they've been building. And I can't wait to share it with you. If you guys want a little bit more um, connection with me, uh, remember that Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm doing this book club. It's free. You can sign up at kathyheller.com slash book club, and we'll send you the replays and a little takeaway from each session. And it's Mondays and Wednesdays, five o'clock PST on Instagram and Facebook. Also, you should sign up for the kathyheller.com slash newsletter. You should sign up for our newsletter because there's so much cool stuff coming out and a lot of extra trainings and cool challenges we're about to do coming up. So I don't want you to miss any of that. All right. Well, I am so excited about today's episode. Dave Hollis is here and he's so awesome. Like he's literally one of the kindest, funniest human beings. He's smart. He's courageous. He's such a great dad. He's such a great husband. He's a great human. I'm such a fan. And, you know, I've known, obviously I've known Dave and Rachel Hollis from afar for a long time, but we finally connected and he's just even cooler in person one-on-one than you'd ever imagine. If you don't know, he's the CEO of The Hollis Co. He's an author and he's the co-host of the Rise Together podcast. And of course, he's married to Rachel Hollis. A few of you might know who she is, but in all seriousness, Dave has his own awesome, very, very important message and wisdom to share. He used to be in charge of distribution at Disney, responsible for the relaunch of the Star Wars franchise, the Avengers series, and the mega hits like Frozen and Beauty and the Beast. And guess what? He left his day job. We're going to get into that and what made him quit that fancy career and why he decided to jump in and uh, work with his wife on the empire that she was creating. We're going to dive into his new book, which is so, so good. It's called Get Out of Your Own Way, A Skeptic's Guide to Growth and Fulfillment. Just really powerful. I don't know how this family keeps just churning out one great thing after another, but if you haven't already gotten Dave's book, I'm serious. It's a game changer. I highly recommend it. He's so down to earth. He's so generous and he's so courageous because he shares very candidly everything that he feels and what he's been through. And I think that that's such a gift. It was really such a delight to spend time with him. It's a joy to connect with him. So without further ado, please welcome the awesome Dave Hollis. Dave Hollis. I'm so happy you're here. Kathy, I cannot believe that I am here. I have been begging to come on this show for a millennia. And finally, you have welcomed me into this tribe, and I appreciate that. Oh, my God. I love you very much. You're All so right. Sweet. So can you tell us a little bit about what's happened in your life in the last, like, five years that made you leave your day job at Disney and uh, start a whole different world for yourself? I will do this. So... <laughs> I, uh, let's start here. I am married to Rachel Hollis. She's my wife. I know. Yeah. I wake up in the morning and there she is. Uh, I get Rachel Hollis all day long and it is a uh... gift. <laughs> I, uh, do work with her right now in a company called the Hollis company where we're trying to create cool, either live events or social media or podcasts, just media generally tools that if people choose to use them, maybe give them a chance to have a better life. But I, about five years ago, Uh, found myself in an entertainment job that I had for a very long period of time, not terribly fulfilled. And I was confused at why when I had a job that made a lot of sense to a lot of people, 
I was so disconnected from the emotion I thought I ought to feel as the president of distribution at the Walt Disney Company. I spent about 23 years in entertainment. The last 17 of those I was at the Walt Disney Company, the final seven of which I was the head of sales. And those first three or four years while I was inside of that job, they were the most exhilarating. I was growing at an unbelievable clip in part because I had very little idea of what I was doing. I was in over my head. I was surrounded by people, my team, my customers, all of them knew so much more about the business than I did. And that was an environment where I could thrive because man, I was growing and in that growth, I was super, super fulfilled. And then as the learning curve of the job was slowly being a thing that I could conquer, and the team's strength, the leadership strength, the strength of the intellectual property were all coming together. Me being a leader of great leaders, me being a salesperson of great films, had me not having to work as hard to do really, really well. And the dissonance between mm. uh, where I was getting recognized, how I was participating in the academy or where I was going to red carpets or like all the things, the trappings that came with the job, um, the thing that I wasn't feeling inside being so disconnected required that I had to go on a journey to figure out what it might mean to leave my day job to pursue something that was going to create a different kind of feeling inside of me. And so I decided to leave a job that many wouldn't. I had to leave what I knew for what I needed. And what I needed was to be super, super uncomfortable because it was in discomfort that I could grow. And so I moved my family from LA to Austin, Texas. My wife and I decide to work together for the first time. If that isn't going to create discomfort, I don't know what will. <laughs> and, uh, and we decided to scale a business. I decided to write a book. I do you know, a whole bunch of things that I had never done before. And in doing them, was super triggered and unskilled in many respects, insecure, out of my depth. And as much as, man, yep, I had to work on how to have better habits and better coping mechanisms through all of that. The now drinking out of a fire hydrant nature of this existence has brought fulfillment back in a way that exists because of it being a place where I'm growing in all of this uncomfortableness that I find myself in now. I love hearing it the way you tell it, which is through the lens of self-awareness. Like, I also think it's just so amazing that you knew that what you needed was to be in a state of growth and progress. And you said when it got easier and it didn't, it didn't require so much, you were like, I don't want to be in this thing where I like sit here. I want to be like growing, which does require being uncomfortable. Real quick, Kathy, though, I have to stop you. Please do. You know, I don't want to interrupt you, Kathy, but I didn't know that I needed to go be uncomfortable. I, I wish that I had the self-awareness in the midst of the decision-making process that, you know what I need to do? I need to leave to go do this. Unfortunately for me, and I'll argue, I'm going to guess that many people find themselves. I had the benefit of some leverage being gifted to me during a season when the byproduct of my discontent was me withdrawing from my family, was me leaning more on alcohol than was healthy, me not being the husband that my wife deserved, and it coming to a head when my wife, with one of her superpowers, the thing that I asked for that we've committed to in our relationship, accountability, sat me down and said, hello, this thing that you're doing, the conscious or unconscious decision that you've made to withdraw 
digging a ditch of sorts inside of your discontent. It is putting us on divergent paths. My wife at the time was just immersed in personal development. She had decided that she was going to become a better version of herself every single day. She was in real time in the midst of writing Girl, Wash Your Face. And in that writing process, it was this therapeutic, beautiful journey of who she ultimately has become in the last handful of years. And in the midst of her climbing this mountain to stand in who now she is known as, I was devolving into a version of myself that I frankly have shame for and am embarrassed about, but also um, am grateful now to be able on the other side, see what it took for me to actually get to the place where I could make the decision to leave. Because what it took was us sitting on the end of our bed and her saying, if I continue on this path to becoming my greatest self and you continue on this path, treading water at best, but truly continuing to devolve away from who I know you can be, who you want to be when you're by yourself, who you promised to be when we got married. In a year, are we still going to go on date nights? In two years, are we still going to make out? In three years, will we still be married? And the reality is I knew the answers to those questions as soon as they left her mouth and the gift of that leverage that if I didn't take just incredibly big action, massive action in real time to change the trajectory of how things were headed, I wouldn't be married. I'd be exchanging my kids on weekends. I'd become an alcoholic, I'd, right? So I had the gift of that leverage and I had to decide in that moment with that gift what I was gonna do with it. And that's when I was able to make the decision. But it wasn't something that came necessarily as an aha moment to me. It was something that came in partnership with someone who was willing to wait into a hard conversation with me. I have to say, I mean, what you just shared is truly one of the bravest, most awesome things I've ever heard a person share because it's so vulnerable. It's so real. And this is what the two of you do every freaking day. You're like, (laughs) hi, I don't have the answer. I am not the Messiah. I'm a human like you having a human experience, but I'm willing to show you what that looks like. And then I'm willing to do the hard stuff. Here's what's amazing is that right now people are going through such a hard time. We didn't think this was going to happen to us economically, health-wise, all the stuff. But what people forget is that a year ago, 1.6 million Americans tried to commit suicide. We had 54% of our country saying, I don't feel particularly great. How about you? Alcoholism, the the depression rates, the loneliness. What you're saying, you weren't even one of those, thank God, 1.6 million people. But you're saying, I was like a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Who are not happy, who are not living their best life, even though they might post on Instagram a nice piece of avocado toast. It doesn't mean anything. So what you just described is you went through this storm, this storm that people are right now evaluating. Should I go back to this job? Will the job be there? Was it really me anyway? Wow. And look what's come of it. Like for anyone who doesn't know, tell us what then happened with yourself, with your own personal growth, with your business. I mean, things got a lot, like I would say exponentially bigger when you joined her in her mission. Yeah, things have been uh, have been fantastic. Before I even answer this question, I'm sorry, you're, you are asking the questions. I'm going to try and take it in one other area just for one second because someone needs to hear this. 
when I originally was handed the rough draft manuscript of Girl, Wash Your Face, which ended up becoming, if you don't know, a, a, a big book for my wife. It was not her first book, but it was certainly a breakthrough book. And it was a linchpin catalyst for so many things that ended up becoming very much a part of the success of the company that we would now together work on. When I first got that draft, I did every single thing in my power to convince my best friend that she should not release the book. I thought that sharing her stories, the way that she was sharing her stories, the transparency and vulnerability yep. was the liability. I thought it was a mistake to own her weaknesses. I thought it was a mistake to talk about the things that she carried shame for. And I tried to talk her out of it because I was in the same moment she was trying to share, actively working in the way that many of us are curating our lives on Facebook and Instagram to really project a, everything is great, trust me, it's fine kind of veneer. And thankfully she didn't listen to me. The book was very successful, but its success was a reflection of the power of people seeing themselves in her stories. And as she was able to give a little bit of advice on how she was able to get through her own struggle, it did two things. It said, oh, I also struggle. And that makes me normal and normalizes the, the struggle that I have because struggle is human. And if you're listening to this and you're struggling, you and I have that in common because struggle is a reflection of your humanity. It does not in any way indict you for being less or weak, especially in these times. These are hard times. We are going to struggle through these times and that makes it normal. And by talking about our struggle, honestly and transparently, it normalizes the struggle, but also when you can talk about your struggle and some of the tips on how in experiencing struggle, you were able to move away from that struggle or grow from that struggle or avoid that struggle, yeah. you've now afforded someone the gift of a tip for how they might themselves process that struggle in a way that's productive. They might grow from it and from, you know, and anything that they learn have a, have a life that's less burdened by the thing that they're struggling with in the first place. So if you are in the season struggling, there is nothing wrong with that struggle. That is a normal thing. And if you can bring that struggle into light, you give yourself the gift of one, being affirmed for how normal you are for having it. And two, you give yourself the chance to find a tool that will help you in your time of struggle, struggle less. So I want to encourage anyone who's struggling, man, find a way to normalize it in community and find a way to get a tool by getting past the worry of what it might say about you for representing your struggle in the first place. I oh, want to just say that everybody feels invisible. And I think a lot of times we minimize our story. Who would I be to share my struggle? Your story is more nuanced. Your story is more about a guy who has checked all the boxes why should I share it? That's exactly why you should share it. Because so many people are walking from the car to the office and they're like, why don't I feel fulfilled? Oh, well, no one wants to care about me. No one's crying for me. This is what is so powerful about you being honest and being brave to just go through all the details of what you just laid out. It's, it's humongous. And I want those listening to hear that 
because boy, look how much that that has made a difference for other men and women. And I'm sure women listening to this right now, you're going to want to get your husband. You're pretty persuasive. You're going to want your husband to listen to this episode because it's so refreshing for you to share. So what happened next? Well, we decide, hey, let's go and pursue this work together. And the first thing that we had to do, because, you know, Rachel is not like me in almost every way. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> um, she is the visionary creative. I am more the practical integrator operator. And the idea of us working together was, in fact, how do you combine superpowers and pour gas on the things that are working and in a way that brings the Avengers together, take this thing to the next level. And so uh, we really tried to focus on, all right, how do you continue, Rachel, to be the person who defines the what? And how do you, Dave, continue then to be or start to be the person who explains the how? And how in then defining those lanes can we continue to work together in a way that makes the business run well, but also affords us this opportunity to make out at the end of days, because we still like each other in that way. And it has been the very, very best two years of time in our marriage, and frankly, the very, very hardest two years of time in our marriage, trying to figure out how to do that well. But the work of working together has afforded us in this company scaling a live events business that has been successful, super, super impacted in real time by the you know, virus that is happening and having us to, in real time, ask new questions about how we can bring some of what we do inside of the live space digitally, asking how can we meet the needs of this community with journals, with podcasts, with movies or television. And it has been an amazing thing because truly, she has, for 15 years, been an entrepreneur who was building a business informed by the way that the community was signaling their set of needs and how creating content or product or services might meet those needs. And that has been the way that we've continued to try and grow the business. The audience is telling us every single day, here are the things that I'm struggling with. Here are the needs that I have. Here is the way that more value could be added to our life. Many of the things that we're creating are 100% free. We're doing a next 90-day challenge in real time just to try as a community to get through the next three months together. Zero dollars involved in that. But there are some other experiences where someone says, man, if I could have a coach, if I could have a journal, if I could have the opportunity to immerse myself in like-minded people in a live ex event experience, fantastic. And creating those with her has been one of the most fulfilling things on earth, in part because we're doing so many things that we have never, ever tried to do before, which guarantees that we're going to fail at a whole bunch of stuff as we go and learn a whole bunch of stuff as we go. But it's been a wild, wild ride and a lot of fun. Once again, every single thing you say, courage, there's courage in everything you say, and honesty. You're like, two best years, two hardest years. Courage, though. Courage to deal with that. Courage to ask new questions and courage to just keep trying stuff. 
All right, this conversation is so good. But before we keep going, let's just give a shout out to our sponsor. Right now, people are buying more stuff online than ever before. And when you're selling online, this can be exciting, but also overwhelming when you have so many orders to get out fast. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. With just a few clicks, you can manage your orders, print out labels, and get your product to happy customers. I hear from so many of you about the awesome products you sell, like your art prints or handmade jewelry. And the last thing I would want is for you to get stuck because of shipping rates or any of those other logistics. If you're selling on Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface so you can easily manage them from any device, even your cell phone. They work with USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. And right now, don't keep your day job. Listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code DREAMJOB. Make sure your business is ready to meet the demands of delivery culture. Get started at ShipStation.com today. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in DREAMJOB. That's ShipStation.com. Then enter offer code DREAMJOB. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Two more questions then get into your book. One question is, was there a little baby piece of you that felt emasculated? Like, I'm going to go work for my wife and I'm feeling resentful. I want it to be my thing. I want to go do something else that I've been putting all this energy into my own ego, my own footprint. I had a big job. Now I'm going to work for you. How does that feel, honestly? Yeah. So I'll tell you two pieces of this story. The first is when I was leaving the Walt Disney Company because I'd worked in entertainment for as long as I had and I was really connected to what people were going to think about me leaving and doing this thing sure. that made sense to us, but not necessarily to them. My title was very, very important to me. I wanted to be the CEO of this company of ours, this company of hers, right? She'd mm-hmm. spent 15 years as an entrepreneur building this company and loving on this community where like your audience, it's primarily women. And yet because of my ego, and I can very, very like honestly own it now, um, my ego drove this need for me to be called a certain thing so that it would explain to people who I thought were paying attention, but were not, um, what I was doing. And so uh, she had to like, kind of hold the impossible ask of me, hey, will you relinquish as a proud female founder of this community business that serves women? Will you let me be the CEO of your company? And she said, yes. And um, she said yes, because man, I do think there were a lot of parts of my experience that were going to help when combined with hers, take what we're trying to create in terms of impact to the next level. Um, But about a year in, having been given the gift of time where truly I could appreciate that this weight that I had afforded the opinions of other people and how much they were paying attention to what I was doing. Here's a gift. If you are listening, no one literally no one is paying attention to what you're doing. No one is thinking about you in the way that you think they are thinking about you. When I left the Walt Disney Company, I I mentioned in the book, like I had concocted a conspiracy theory. I thought that the people at the company had been given a direct order to not be in contact with me when I was reaching out and there was no direct order. They had just gone back to their lives and that is not an indictment on them. They are not bad people. They're great people, but they are human. Like any of you listening wired to think of themselves first. Sure. Right. And so like the gift of appreciating that, Oh wait, no one was thinking about me had me reevaluate how important it was for me to be the CEO of the company. And so I knew how hard it was for her to make that decision or that concession as a part of our partnership 
And so I went back and said, hey, I think I should be the COO. And I think you should go back to being the CEO. This is your company. This company, yep, I think is better because of the how, but it doesn't exist without the what. And you are the what person. So uh-huh. um, you need to be the CEO of this company. It's important for this community. It's important for the team. It's important for our three-year-old daughter, um, but it's important for you. And, and it's not important for my ego any longer because of the clarity that I have for the time now of being away from worrying about what they were thinking. They were never thinking about me. That's one. Two, when I made this choice to leave the Walt Disney Company and come do this work with my wife, I had for, at that point, the 14 years of time that we were married, been the primary breadwinner in our family. I was, uh, part of my identity was connected to being a provider for our family. And uh, though we made the decision to go do this thing together before Girl Wash Your Face came out, it coming out and all of the things that it created, a documentary in theaters, a QVC clothing line, a line at Target, another book, like all of the things that it created had in a single year totally shifted where value for our family was coming from in a way that was a hyper trigger for me as a person who had always identified myself as the provider. And some of, yep, the backdrop of masculinity and what men do and what women do, on some level, of course, had to have informed how I thought about it. But the way it showed up was surprising to me because I wasn't anticipating it. I actually was confronted with this question of, if she doesn't need me, will she still want me? As in, I had always been there in case she as an entrepreneur wanted to take chances on her business. And if something had gone sideways, I was a backstop that she could depend on. And man, she didn't really ever truly need that backstop. But me knowing that it existed gave me value. It gave me a reason for her to want to be with me. And now in the absence of her needing me, trust me, she doesn't need me at all when it comes to provision because of the way that the way that her work has been received by people. And so I had to like sit in therapy and unpack that. I had to sit with her and unpack that. And great news, sometimes the gift (laughs) of these kind of existential things that you are confronted with afford you a clarity on how your relationship has always been, not a contingent relationship, that there never was anything that was having a quid pro quo exist for your provision and their love, because that's not even love. Right. But I had to go through the experience of processing these ridiculous questions to get clarity on how ridiculous it was to have it in the first place. Gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. And what's so awesome, as hard as it is, we are all sitting in this moment right now where so many of our roles, so many of the things that we could do to earn, to be impressive, all the things. Only what's left is what's essential. Only what's left is who we really are. And we get really scary close with the people in our homes. And we have to ask these questions and look what it's done. It's oh, shown yeah. you what the two of you really had all along, right? And, and, and so, okay, folks who are listening are going to be thinking, Kath, this is gorgeous, but please help me. I do need to build some kind of business online right now. I think everyone's having to ask that question. And you guys have done it better than really anybody else I know. So what are a couple of the things, if people want to grow a community, I feel like that's what you guys do better than anything is you just make friends 
if someone's listening right now and they're having to now ask themselves, how do I build an audience? How do I start to find out what my audience needs? The way that you said that a few times, what are some of the things that they should be thinking to do? Well, starting with what the audience needs is definitely the first, uh, the first place to start. And, and I would say it's a question of whether you are receiving their hand raise, their advocacy for the things that they need. If you spend time in your DMs, if you spend time in the comments of the things that you're posting, if you are looking at what they're re responding to in the emails that you are sending out, they are likely giving you the information on how you could serve them better. Even if they are complaining about the things that you are doing, they are giving you That's information, true. right? Yeah. They're giving you information on how you could serve them better or, or, or serve them in a different way. So I would start by just truly being in community and really trying to sift through and understand what it is that they're trying to say in the way that they're interacting with you. That's one. Two, value. I mean, like Gary Vee's got his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook. If you don't know that, I would argue it's a good place to start, but it's the idea that you offer value, offer value, offer value, offer value, and then ask for something. And if there is a thing that I think we've tried to do, it's how can we overwhelm this community with so much value, a ton of free value, so that when it does come time for asking them if they're interested in transacting, those that have the means to and can see the value in it, don't feel like it's the only thing that we do as yeah. a part of this community. And um, as if, if you're an online marketing of any kind or you're selling a product, the temptation is to describe the attributes of what you're selling or the value that it can afford but in that, there is some kind of call to action. If you could just think through the lens of what does that audience need? I've just found out because I'm spending time in my comments. I'm reading their responses to emails. I know what they're sending me in DMs and serve them, serve them, serve them, serve them until after just overwhelming service, you then come and ask, hey, if you're interested in going deeper, here's how. So that's the next step. But then you have to believe in the value of what you are creating so much that it would be a disservice to not make it available to them, right? If you are working in some kind of business where you don't believe in it, in this world, the audience will know. And so you have to figure out how you can align yourself with something that you believe so much in that any kind of worry you have for asking is mitigated by your belief, like in your bones, that it would be a disservice to your community if you didn't ask them if they want to take advantage of your opportunity to put them in touch with this product, this service, this course, this whatever it might be. 100,000 zillion percent. And I'm so glad you shared it because I was going to say that. And that leads us to your book. Because your book as the best title, get out of your own way, a skeptic's guide to growth and fulfillment. That is in fact, the problem is that when it comes down to it, we're afraid to raise our hand and share things because we are in our own way. We don't believe in our value. We think, who am I to do it? Rachel Hollis and Dave Hollis already did it. Who am I to do it? Right. This is what happens. So your book goes over so many of these things, these rocks that are just standing in our way, and they're exactly about what you just said. So let's talk about a couple of things that you talk about in the book that very much uh, directly affects what we just talked about. People have this sense of like, 
I have to have it all together. I have to be the best. I have to be the smartest. I have to have a track record of like never failing, perfect marriage, eat perfect, live perfect. Let's talk about why you call to get out of your own way. Let's talk about some of the principles and pillars that are in this book. And let's talk about what you have to say about how we can move on, move forward. Well, the book is written as a collection of lies, uh, as in here are the 20 lies that I believe that kept me in my own way, that in my being honest about it and storytelling around it and giving you tips on how I was able to get out of my own way, if you are able to see yourself in any of these stories, and I will argue you'll see yourself in many of them, then maybe by hearing my perspective and seeing a little bit of the tools that I use to get out of my own way, you're afforded an opportunity to get out of yours. Each of the lies, they tend to be stories that we tell ourselves. They are beliefs that we have clung to that do not serve us and our pursuit of an exceptional life, our pursuit of exceptional relationships, our pursuit of anything that actually aligns with our personal values. And so what I would argue at the beginning of anyone who is feeling stuck or struggling is the work that is required to understand what you believe and why you believe it, right? Uh, I did not wanna do this work. I mean, part of why Skeptic's Guide is skeptical uh, is, is in this title because I was skeptical that um, doing the kind of work that I am now attempting to teach was actually something that any of us needed to do because I'd been born with more of a fixed mindset and I just didn't really believe that there was a power in doing this. And now that I've gone through and over the course, man, it's taken years. So don't think that this is like a oh, switch, uh, flip the switch and all of a sudden everything happens so fast. It, it inevitably will take some time. But what stories are you staying anchored to that in some way don't support you showing up as well as you'd like as a business operator, showing up as well as you'd like as a partner, showing up as well as you'd like as a, as a parent, or, or just you know in some way compromise the way that you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. Yeah. I can acknowledge now that my work, even in just writing the book, there was catharsis in going through and writing these stories down because I, in trying to debunk these lies, make them unbelievable, now have a new set of capital T truths that I have to try and stay anchored to every single day to stay out of my own way. And I think in the storytelling and in some of you know, the ways that I was able to, um, there's going to be hopefully something you get to take away and apply to your life that'll help you do the same. A hundred percent. It's so good. And one of the things that I see for my audience, which you talk about in the book, is the failure means you're weak. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, achievements for me was my vehicle to being loved uh, as a child and frankly, as an adult who still sometimes acts like a child. <laughs> and so um, when I can unpack why I was getting good grades in school or memorized all the Bible verses or did the you know sports to get the trophies, so much of it was connected to if I can do these things, then I will be affirmed as being good or affirmed as being worthy or affirmed as being lovable. And I want to be lovable, so I need to keep achieving. And in my mind, to keep getting that affirmation, I had to avoid things that might compromise my coming off as an achiever or avoid failure, right? Now, the trouble is I, as described earlier in my job, found myself in a work environment 
where failure on the whole was not possible, right? This is not like, oh, Dave's so great. No, 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 no. The conditions surrounding Dave became so great because of the intellectual property, the leadership and strength of my team that I could not fail on the whole. And the absence of being able to fail was the thing that was keeping me from feeling fulfilled because of the tie that exists between growth and fulfillment. If you do not fail, you cannot grow. And if you don't grow, you can't be fulfilled. So if you are interested in fulfillment, you have to change the way you have a relationship with failure. Now, here's the thing. I have changed my appreciation for the necessity of failure in my life as a vehicle for me to grow. It doesn't mean that I like failure, right? Like you, just because you change the way you see it as being for you and not something that indicts you as being weak, doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily like it. You may still be triggered by failure. But if in your business, you keep playing it safe and you don't fail, you will not have the business that you have an aspiration for years from now. I've had to have this conversation with my team. It's a hard conversation. They don't like this conversation. But at the turn of the year, we cast a vision for where we expect our company to be five years from now. And in the audacity of that vision, I told each of them that none of them with the skills they have today will be at the leadership table of that company five years from now. But that also includes me because I am not equipped yet to sit at that leadership table. And in telling them that, there's only one way that they can actually acquire the knowledge to be at that table, and that's to change the way they think about walking into spaces that currently they don't have expertise inside of. Because they'll have to, in doing new things, make mistakes, and in those mistakes, learn new things that they can now, with a broader sense of what they know and a broader set of skills, be a qualified candidate to sit at the table of the audacity of what we're believing our company to be five years from now. And you will need to do that too if the vision you have for what you'd like your company to be a year from now or five years from now includes you in the picture. Mm. Like failing was a thing that I had avoided so much that when failure started happening in this transition from a corporate job to this entrepreneurial startup environment that I now am immersed inside of, I really struggled with failure being an indictment on me being the wrong person for this job. Because I, man, was always surrounded by people who could eliminate failures as soon as they happened in a way that never had them become problems. And now we are, because of it being more trail blazing than it was trail management, we're always walking into a part of the forest that nobody inside the company has ever been in before. So of course we're gonna step in a hole. Of course we're gonna trip on a branch. Love That's that. what you do when you haven't been in that part of the forest before. And it's only because of being in communities like the, the one that you, know, you have here where everyone who's listening is, has a similar kind of aspiration or sitting inside of a mastermind or we, we've had the blessing. A guy, John Maxwell, who is an amazing, amazing conversationalist around leadership and a great author. He's become a mentor to my wife and I, but one time I was bemoaning the fact that failure was happening as often as it was inside of our small business and was taking personally that I wasn't able to preempt these failures. And he said something so simple, but it's so perfect. He said, hey, if you're operating inside of a small business, leaders of small businesses never have two good days in a row. So you can decide, do you 
want to have a string of great days or do you want to run a small business? Because you do not get to have both. Mm. And the gift of like the permission granted of, oh, this is just the price of entry. When you're a small business operator, when you're doing this online marketing, if you think that you're going to have a string of multiple days in a row where things don't go wrong, then you are in the wrong business. You can like go work in a conventional business where it's predictable. You won't grow there. You're unlikely to feel fulfillment there, but you will have multiple days of not failing in a row, but you've got to choose because it's one or the other. Yeah. I love just like the full surrender to like, this is it. Oh, this is part of it. You're not going to walk through the jungle and not step on a branch. Never been in that. I love it. Yeah. One of the other lies in your book that you debunk, which everyone's constantly saying to me in my audience in one way or the other is things that are possible for other people are not possible for me. They have all these reasons. They, we look for evidence of what we think is true. And so here's all the evidence why it's not true for me. It's not possible for me. It's only possible for them. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so this goes back to storytelling. I mean, like truly, if there was a thing in like limiting beliefs, I don't even love the idea of the word limiting beliefs because it sounds a little personal development hooey, but as a person who's now a convert in this personal development space, Uh I'm telling you, there is something to the idea of limiting beliefs. And that um, in, in the book, I start the chapter with the story of running. Just as like a simple, simple example, I was told a story about what, tall people couldn't do when it came to running. Tall people can't run because of their back or their hips or their knees. Tall people can't run. And so for 36 years, I accepted this story that was told through the lens of someone else's fear as my truth. And I never tested the hypothesis of my truth. I never even questioned this truth. I just accepted that that truth existed. I couldn't run. And then one day I decided to run. And I ran for reasons that weren't even about my decision to test it as much as I was trying to compete with an older person that I worked with because I wanted to beat him. But I started running and my back didn't hurt and my knees didn't hurt and my hips didn't hurt. And I ran some more and I ran some more. And running has become one of the most important coping mechanisms in my life. I've run more than a thousand miles in the last year. Literally, I run a lot. And I wouldn't have if I had just stayed connected to this story of someone else's fear. The, the stories that someone is telling you when they explain to you all the reasons why they can't are stories of someone else's usually fear of what it might mean for them to take a chance and not succeed, the worry of what it might mean to be publicly exposed as not being perfect at doing this work well yet. And the people who go out and do it are the ones who appreciate that no one's paying attention or that you will not actually grow into who you hope to be unless you are willing to go out and fall on your face. It's not a question of will you fall, it's a question of how fast you'll get back up. So you have to, if you are in any ways doubting your capacity to do this work, you need to ask whose stories are you believing? Are these stories that you believe because they're your stories or stories that came from your mother-in-law or another mom at PTA, like somewhere these stories came, right? That's one. Two, I've really become into pushing myself beyond my limits to reframe what I believe my capacity to be, which has a corollary here, if you'll go with me for two seconds, in that I, in this running analogy, have started running longer distance. I've just finished a marathon. I am now training for an Ironman. In the midst of a 2019 that was full of high highs, 
the highest high for me was completing a mountain climbing exercise that was bananas. It was crazy. We, we did this thing called Everesting, Rachel and I, where we climbed a mountain 13 times to equal the vertical climbing oh distance, 29,000 and 29 feet of going to the top of Mount Everest. And we decided to do it because a friend of ours was throwing the event. We said, yep, let's go ahead and try it. And man, two climbs in, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And I had 11 climbs to go. It was a 35 hour challenge, climbing uphill each time for an hour and 45 minutes of the hardest workout of my entire life. And the thing that I know with 100% certainty on the other side of having completed this 13 ascent, 29,000 foot climb over 35 hours is this. I wildly underestimated my physical capacity prior to the challenge. But now that I know how much I can handle, I can handle unbelievably more. And I wildly underestimated my mental capacity because most of that challenge was about my mental fortitude to decide to keep going when it got harder than I believed I could handle. And the thing that I love about these physical challenges, whether it's mile 24 through 26 of a marathon or the last four climbs of a 13 ascent mountain climb, I am pushing myself into places that are beyond what I believe I can handle so that in actually completing that challenge, even if I struggle, even when I fall down and have to get back up, it reframes my belief in my capacity to do hard things. Whether we like it or not, right now, in real time, in this quarantine, we are being afforded the gift of having our muscles really strained so that we can, in the breaking down of these muscles, have them become strong. And when we get to the other side of this, and who knows how long it will take or how hard it will be, we will, a year from now, two years from now, look back at 2020 with gratitude, even though it will have come through immense pain and crisis because of how strong we were able to be despite our belief before going through it of our ability to even withstand something this hard. In your business, the same thing is true. If and when you get the fortitude internally to go into a space that you have never been in before, push yourself out there, whether it's owning your weaknesses publicly so that you can actually connect to other people who are also struggling, or when you make a mistake, sharing the mistake, like whatever it might be, as you decide to push into territory that is more now about trailblazing for you than it is the trail management, you will be astonished at what it feels like to reframe your capacity to do hard things. It's incredible. And just the visual of you guys going up and down this mountain. I mean, what a way to live this out and to see that for yourself firsthand. I mean, that must have just felt unbelievable to have it felt that terrible off until yeah. it was done. Let's be clear, <laughs> yeah. right? No, I, like, I think this, this is important, right? It was, it was a thing that I never want to experience again. I, I, I write in the book about our adoption journey as a thing that 2016 is a year that I never, ever want to relive. But I am sitting in Austin, Texas. I had the courage to leave the Walt Disney Company because of the proof of our ability to endure hard things when tragedy inside of our adoption experience had kids come into as adoptable and then out of not really adoptable in our journey, right? There are gonna be things that will reveal themselves 
to you in 2020 when unimaginable things for your business are forcing you to think differently about your ability to pivot, to be agile, to think differently about the needs of your customers. And you will develop, if you're, if you're willing, if you choose to see it, you will develop new parts of your business and new ways of connecting with your customers because of the hard times that we are sitting inside of, not in spite of. It's really so powerful. And I feel like I used a couple words before about how courageous you are and, and how honest you are. But another word is generous. I feel like you're so generous. Just everything you share, how you share it, the amount of energy, you can see how present you are right now. And it is so amazing though. Like I feel that one little excuse people are going to come up with now is, okay, easy for you to say, you're superhuman. You listen to what you just did. You guys do a show every morning. You're so incredibly prolific and all the, and they'll use that, right? So in summing up, do you feel like there's room for everyone? Do you feel like God makes extras and we don't need everybody? Or do you think that everyone is needed here and that there is room for everyone who's listening to go add some value to the world? Of, that is, come on, that is not even a question that should be answered because of course, every single person who is listening has a unique life experience, has been gifted with a unique set of skills. And those skills, that light is needed in this world, period, end of sentence. Questioning that is coming from a place that was born out of an insecurity from your childhood or the worry of what women do or don't do. I'm going to go down this path for two seconds because this is one of those like makes my blood boil kind of things. Rachel gets a question that I don't get. I don't get the question, what will this do to my kids in the way that Rachel gets the question, what will this do to my kids? And number one, if I don't get a question that she gets, then that is a question that shouldn't even be asked in the first place. But Asking the question isn't the bad thing. It's the, the way that the question is asked. Because Rachel being asked the question is being asked usually through the tone or the implication that she couldn't possibly be both. That she couldn't possibly be both an entrepreneur and a good mom. That she couldn't possibly pursue her dreams and also take good care of this home. That she couldn't possibly be both, which is ridiculous. And the fact that I don't get that same question makes it even that more ridiculous. But the question should be asked, what will this do to our kids? As in, I have three boys. They are 13, 11, and 7. And my three boys will never once, one time, question whether or not a woman can write back-to-back -back number one New York Times bestselling books, have a line of product at Target, be a leader in a boardroom, stand on stages of thousands. It will not one time into their mind that a woman can't do that because of the model they have in their mother. What will this do to our kids? And I have a daughter who at three years old, hopefully never has to read Girls Stop Apologizing, a book that my wife wrote because she will have never one time had the model of a woman in our house apologizing for standing in who God created her to be. So what will this do to our kids if anyone is questioning whether they ought to pursue what they believe to be a calling, the opportunity to unlock fully the gifts that have been afforded to you because of what it might do to your kids? The inverse is the better question. What will it do to your kids to not pursue 
these gifts and unlocking this light. The world needs it. The world needs it, but the world sometimes can be defined by the humans that are living inside of your house. Your world needs your gifts. So don't you dare worry about what it might mean to some mom who isn't actually paying attention to you to pursue them. Don't let them, the collective them, create limits for your light, your gifts, your pouring into the world, especially when that world can start just by being defined by who it is that lives inside of your home. So incredibly medicinal. Like those words are like the elixir from the sweet fairy who goes and gets it and says, just take two (laughs) spoonfuls of this one. That's all you need. Nothing else. Just that. Listen to me. It is not what's taught to kids. It's what's caught. And you just shared that. Oh my gosh. Could there be another reason to fail forward? Could there be another reason to show your kids? You can do hard stuff. I'm doing it. Yes, sir. I love it. Tell everybody where they can find you. The better question is where can they not find you? Because you guys are honestly, but where? I'm like that weird neighbor that's creeping over the top of your fence, (laughs) peering in your back shutters. I don't know why, but there I am. Uh, (laughs) We hang out on the internet uh, like most humans. Yeah, I'm on the, the Instagram at Mr. Dave Hollis, Facebook at Dave Hollis. Uh, my wife is great. Her name's Rachel. You should hang out with her as well. Thehollisco.com is where all the things we create as a company exist. It is truly just a bunch of tools that if you are interested in pursuing uh, a life that is free from uh, a whole bunch of stuff that you are being weighed down by, well, fantastic. We think we're creating a bunch of stuff that would help you get there faster. And... Um, I just appreciate being able to come on and hang out with you today. Thank you so much. Come on. You're so sweet and awesome and smart. You also have uh, a podcast, Rise Together. You guys should check it out. You'll enjoy it. They're also on Instagram doing a show every morning that also has a cute theme song and coaching and the books. And we'll put links to all of it. And you're great. And I've had you for so long. And it's time for you to go back to watching Frozen and making popcorn. Thank you for having me, Kathy. You're I awesome. It. I think I gotta go make sure that Frozen 2 is starting after the Frozen 1 showing that yes, was on when, when I started this thing. Yes, you do. Thank you. Stay in touch. We'll do it. Bye, Have sir. A good one. I'm telling you, right? He's awesome. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, your struggle does not make you less than or weak. It is a reflection of your humanity. Bring it into the light. Number two, let go of your ego. No one is paying attention to what you're doing. Number three, overwhelm your audience with free value, offer value, offer value, offer value, then ask. Number four, you should believe so much in the value of what you're creating that it would be a disservice to not make it available. Number five, if you don't fail, you can't grow. If you don't grow, you can't be fulfilled. So if you want fulfillment, you have to change your relationship with failure. Number six, push yourself to go beyond what you think you can handle. Even if you struggle, even if you fail and have to get back up, it will reframe your capacity to do hard things. Number seven, if you're willing, you develop new parts of business and new ways of connecting with customers because of the hard times we're sitting inside of, not despite of. Number eight, you have a unique life experience and a unique set of skills. Your world needs you to pursue your gift. You guys, thank you so much for listening. I know that there's so much going on right now. It means the world to me that you're here and I am so committed to showing up for you. So thank you for being here. Do you feel like this is resonating? Do you feel like I am making a difference in your life? Do you feel like these episodes are helping to change the narrative to show you what's possible at all? 
If you do, take a second right now and share the show with someone. Share the show with someone. Tell them to subscribe. It costs nothing. It helps us so much. It helps other people find the show. And I think that this is like a movement. And together, maybe we can spread that possibility and that joy and that sense of purpose. People need it right now more than ever. So please, please take a second and make sure you're subscribed, leave a review for the podcast, and then go ahead and share this show with other people. Text it to a friend who you think might really be able to use it. And if you post about it on Instagram and you tag me, I will personally send you a DM to thank you and I will repost your share. So it means so much to see those. Also, I'll be around today and Wednesday doing the book club. It's free. You can go to kathyheller.com slash book club to sign up and get the replay as well as some homework. But if you want to catch me live 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Instagram and in the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group, I'm going to leave you with another song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. When you just can't sleep When you're counting sheep I'll be here for you I'll be here for you When you need to Take a good long walk I'll be here for you I'll be here for you Of all the people on the planet If I had my choice I couldn't have planned it better than this It doesn't get i